Was Jesus a liberal or a conservative, part one? When I was thinking about this, this two-part series and the state of our country, when I started thinking about this, there was one word that, that kind of rose to the surface, if you will, and it's polarized. Webster defines polarized as division into two shape, sharply contrasting groups or sets of opinions or beliefs. Would you agree with me this morning that this pretty much defines the American cultural political landscape in America? Sharply contrasting groups, conservative and liberals, sets of different opinions, sets of different and opposing beliefs. Is there anyone here ever channel serves? Well, I see maybe one honest person in the group this morning. So, Hey, because you know, I don't know how it is at your house, but in, in most households, whoever controls the remote controls what you're going to watch. If, if you want to, uh, uh, to get a handle on maybe a little deeper on what I've said this morning, to get a taste of polarization, you, you turn on your TV and you flip back and forth between MSNBC or CNN and Fox or One American News. They're night and day perceptions. And, and the thing about these two camps, they do point fingers. They say some broadcasts contain misinformation, half-truths, and in some cases even false information, name-calling, and on and on and on. And, and we've talked about this before. Back when I was younger, if we would say things about certain people in high places, uh, the FBI would come to your house. But in this day and age, you can just pretty much say and do what you want. There's a few lines that get crossed, but the lines are really thin. And I, I don't know. I don't know what constitutes slander today. But, and they say it about each other. So being bombarded with this deluge of information from social media as well as TV and movies and Facebook and Twitter and on and on and on, you and I, believers, have to sort through this. And I think deep in our heart of hearts, we wonder where the United States of America is headed. This clip offers some great insight on where polarization can take us if we allow it to do so. Let's watch. It's from a movie called Freedom Riders. Have page four. Okay, why don't you just use the next blank page? What's going on? What is that? Give it to me. What is this? Just leave it alone. <laughs> you think this is funny? Tito, would this be funny if it were a picture of you? It ain't. Close the workbooks. Maybe we should talk about art. Tito's got real talent, don't you think? Yeah. 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 You know something? 
I saw a picture just like this once. In a museum. Only it wasn't a black man. It was a Jewish man. And instead of the big lips, he had a really big nose, like a rat's nose. But he wasn't just one particular Jewish man. This was a drawing of all Jews. And these drawings were put in the newspapers by the most famous gang in history. Mm. You think you know all about gangs? You're amateurs. This gang would put you all to shame. And they started out poor and angry, and everybody looked down on them until one man decided to give them some pride and identity and somebody to blame. You take over neighborhoods? That's nothing compared to them. They took over countries. And you want to know how? They just wiped out everybody else. Yeah, they wiped out everybody they didn't like and everybody they blamed for their life being hard. And one of the ways they did it was by doing this. See, they'd print pictures like this in the newspapers. Jewish people with big, long noses. Blacks with big, fat lips. They'd also publish scientific evidence that proved Jews and blacks were the lowest form of human species. Jews and blacks were more like animals. And because they were just like animals, it didn't really matter whether they lived or died. In fact, life would be a whole lot better if they were all dead. That's how a Holocaust happens. She has uncovered a painful truth that many of us will not admit, that we're all capable of great evil. All of us, everybody in here. And that's how Holocaust happens. We, we might not think that, but I believe that this, we're this close to anarchy. You might, you might think that's absurd, but I don't. <laughs> I've seen the dark side. We've, I, I tell you a great example of this, as some of you remember, some of you don't. Some of the riots in the 60s. Somebody breaks one window, looting started, and people just go crazy. In New Orleans, the flood, all the stores were looted. I can go on and on. It's just like something pushes. It's like riots. One or two people get it started, and it spreads like wildfire. That's what happens when the old nature takes over. And we see that, I think we see it too much in America. I believe that we are polarized. Our perception in life should be filtered through God's word, the absolute truth. That is, that is the point that all the writers of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit as the same with the old. You've you got to pattern your life after that. So was Jesus our Savior a liberal or a conservative? Would he camp in the left or would he camp in the right? Would he watch Fox or CNN or both? And I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm not a political expert. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I vote for the person. I, you could call me an independent. But I tell you what I am. I'm a follower of Christ and a pastor and a shepherd and a great lover of people. That defines me. And my aim today is not to move you to the left or the right in your political convictions because I know how strong they are. My aim is to help all of us grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. And, and I propose that we think about Jesus and how we respond to him 
is infinitely far more important than our political convictions, though they aren't unrelated. It's why I say this every time the polls are open. Pray. Let God lead you. Let Him direct you. My problem is in the kingdom today, well, people will vote their party over their faith. That, that, That bothers me. Whatever that person might be, whatever they believe in, and I, and I understand that, but that, I think it's an issue. Also, if I wrongly represent someone's political views, please know that it's not my intent. None of us like to be stereotyped. And we all know there's a vast spectrum between the right and the left. And my aim is to be fair in this discussion. So I would ask you to be gracious as well. This, I hope, is the beginning of a conversation that could last for the rest of our lives about who Jesus is and what he expects of you and I. Here's the thing in life, and it's been happening since day one, actually. People want to use God or Christ for leverage. When it comes to politics, religion, or pop culture, Jesus is the kind of guy people like to be associated with. Whether it's Justin Bieber giving Jesus a shout-out at the VMAs or the Duck Dynasty guys quoting Jesus in the woods or politicians doing commercials about their thankfulness for the evangelicals, people who like to have Jesus on their side. My son Josh is going to come and sing a song now by Bob Dylan that epitomizes what we're talking about. Dylan was political, but some of these words kind of make sense. Let's listen. My name, it is nothing. My age, it means less. The country I come from is called the Midwest. I was taught and brought up there, the laws to abide.
It's all in perception. It seems many want God on their side. Sports teams sometimes pray before the game, and both teams want to win. I don't think God really cares who wins. He's interested on how you play the game. 
So we think about Jesus and how people have used him for leverage and thousands, maybe even millions, has been slain in that name because they thought God was on their side, that God inspired them to do that. All the crusades and trying to take the Holy Land back from the Turks and the Muslims. And the Christians would go on with the cross on their shield, <laughs> get somebody down and put a foot on their chest and have the point of that sword right there in the larynx. Do you believe in Jesus? If not, <laughs> so we, we, we bring that into this modern world. And here, here how, this, here's how that's lined up. Some political or social liberals suggest that if Jesus were on the earth today, he'd be dressed in denim work clothes, teaching and modeling equality, inclusion, and tolerance of everyone. After all, he's the one who said we should turn the other cheek, Matthew 5, 38, and judge not lest you be judged, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And they suggest that because Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 12, 15, and taught us to help the least of these, Matthew 25, 40, that he called for free universal health care for everyone. And they say that if he were here today, he'd propose higher taxes on the rich so the poor could follow their dreams and be just like everybody else, Matthew 19, 21. So you've got this mindset, and at the same time, some political or social conservatives have long claimed to be the ones who really know Jesus. They maintain that if he lived today, He'd be at their rallies giving orders to flip tables for Planned Parenthood, Matthew 12, 21, 12, and calling for the government to quit oppressing people's morality and pocketbooks. He'd be speaking out against border control, Matthew 10, 5, and traditional marriage, Matthew 19, 1 through 6, and the rights of the unborn, Mark 12, 3. These camps often oppose each other and both think they're right. That, that's the issue. Both think they're right. They can't both be right. And I see the polarization comes in and the finger pointing and the name calling and all this rhetoric. My sister Barbara and Diane's grandparents, granny and grandpa, was one of each. One was a Democrat, one was a Republican. And they spent most of their married life pushing each other's buttons. And as Barbara could probably tell you better than me, when their candidate would come up for election, they would have posters, and they'd stick their posters up, and then the other one would go around when the other one was out of the house and put their posters up. So the time the election was over, these posters were down to absolutely nothing, and they had worn them out. My father, Charles Edwin, was a Democrat to the core. He was what we'd call a yellow dog Democrat. If the Democrats run a yellow dog on the ticket, he'd vote for him. And, uh, am I right, sister? Dad, Dad's big deal on election day. Well, I went in and just marked my big X. He just was gone in like five seconds. He was proud of the fact that he could vote a straight ticket, and he, 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 didn't, he didn't alter or vary at all. And you, uh, Keith, my brother-in-law, they used to, I think, would argue sometimes. But I said, man, Dad, if the Democrats run Satan, you'd vote for him. He didn't like that so much, but nonetheless... <laughs> A CNN article titled, Do You Believe in a Red State Jesus or a Blue State Jesus, rightly said this after the election. 
Somebody somewhere in America will fall on their knees and pray, thank you, Jesus. And somebody somewhere else will moan, help us, Jesus. So what do you think this morning? Would Jesus be red or blue? Would he be setting up a soup kitchen or shouting at the religious hypocrites? Was Jesus a liberal or conservative? To help us answer this question, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks exploring three topics that Jesus thought about that are relevant to political discussion. Today, we'll consider what Jesus taught about taxes and what he taught about the rich and the poor. And then next week, we'll examine what he taught about human flourishing, the right to farewell in life, to prosper, to succeed for every citizen. What Jesus teach about taxes in the Gospel of Matthew 22, 15 through 22. Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, which were the religious conservatives, the legalists of that day, about whether or not the Jewish people should pay taxes to Caesar, the Roman emperor. I like the way Jesus always answered the questions and how he did it. So he asked him to bring him a coin and ask, whose inscription is on it? They said, Caesar, to which Jesus famously replied, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God. What he meant was this, because Caesar is king, we need to give him what's due him, namely taxes. Now Jesus says pay your taxes. He's not talking about giving money to a government that you don't trust or a government that will squander your money. He's talking about giving money to one of the most cruel and perverse governments systems in the history of the world. Rome was ruthlessly oppressive to everyone under its authority. When Jesus was alive, over half the Roman Empire was slaves. And on a daily basis, they crucified hundreds of people that didn't go, get along with the government. There was a, their major highway, so to speak, was called the Appian Way that went into Rome. And they said on any given occasion, there might be 300 people crucified there. And they never took their bodies down. Can you imagine the smell as their bodies rotted off those crosses? Well, I'd be a deterrent. You know, I, I, we think about the, today and legal system and how things go, and we wonder if there's really any big deterrent to crime, but I'll guarantee you that would have been a, a tremendous deterrent. But this was the kind of the government that Jesus said, you need to pay your taxes. Why would Jesus say pay your taxes to Rome? Because Jesus recognized government is a God-ordained institution set up to maintain order and uphold justice and righteousness in a fallen world. Can you imagine if we had no laws? What, what the, it, it's hard for us to, to comprehend. The closest we can come to that is as we look to the future and when the Holy Spirit is taken out and anarchy and chaos rules the day. This maybe would come close here if we had no laws. Genesis 9, 6, who people say is too cruel, it's too harsh. God knows human nature, and there has to be harsh, cruel laws to keep the likes of us in line. Genesis 6, 9, 6, yes, you must execute anyone who murders another person. For to kill a person is to kill a living being made in God's image. Absolute, black and white, there's no gray areas. There's no pleading the fifth. There's no trying to get an expensive lawyer to get you off. You must execute anyone who murders another person. That's plain to me. God's covenant with Noah, the first covenant. Every government, good or bad, is part of God's design 
and we are to honor God by paying the taxes they require, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Even though we think they're unjust, even though we think they shouldn't raise, we want nice roads, we want our communities to be nice, and they cannot happen without some kind of funding. Would Jesus increase taxes on the rich or decrease taxes on the middle class? Liberals and conservatives have their opinions. Jesus doesn't say. But he does say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And here we see the masterfulness of Jesus' teaching. He never avoided relevant topics, social topics. But he used these to form discussions, to point us in the right direction. And ultimately, it always pointed to God, that we are to love him, obey him, and worship him. Jesus' teaching on taxes ultimately points us to our need to give God the worship and obedience that he deserves. So Jesus, Jesus challenges both liberals and conservatives to get honor to whom honor is due, which is supremely God. What did Jesus teach about the rich and the poor. Jesus was known for his remarkable compassion toward the poor and oppressed. And at the same time, he ministered fearlessly among the wealthy and the powerful. And we can learn from his interaction with both groups. In John chapter 5, we find Jesus making a stop by a pool in Jerusalem. It's the pool of Bethesda. It was a place that most religious people wouldn't hang around because here are the marginalized of society, the, the sick, the diseased, the lame, the blind, and on and on and on. And they would gather around this pool because they believed that during the day, an angel would stir that water up. And if they got in the water while the water was moving, they'd be healed. So that, in, in John chapter 5, this is, this is the story. He walked over to a lame man and asked, do you want to be healed? The man replied that he had no one to help him get in the water. So what did Jesus say? He said, take up your mat and walk. So here was a man that had been crippled for 38 years, and immediately he had strength in his lame legs, and he got up and picked up his bedroll, and he could walk, he could jump, he could dance, he could, he could do whatever. It's hard to grasp the enormity of that. Here's three observations about that. First, Jesus was aware of this man's distress this pool wasn't in the part of the town where everybody frequented. This kind of practical compassionate love for broken people characterized everything Jesus did. He was drawn to them. Second, Jesus didn't heal everyone at the pool. Many left not healed that day. Could Jesus have healed them all? Yeah, he could have. Why didn't he? We don't know. That would... It's the same today. We ask the question. How many of us has prayed for healing for people? Many of us. God doesn't heal everybody. That's, it's not on me. I'm not the one who decides that. I pray and let God do what he wants. Jesus regularly left places where people needed to be healed to minister elsewhere. Jesus' miracles certainly aimed to help people, but they had a deeper meaning, to prove that he was God's son who had the authority to forgive sins. That was Jesus' point. That's where he was going. And thirdly, Jesus has taught the, former, taught the formerly lame man about his greatest need. 
Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Really, his greatest need wasn't a healed body, but the forgiveness of his sins. Because unless he repented, he might have a healthy body now, but he was going to die. And unless he repented, he was going to burn in hell. Jesus looked, for, looked ahead to that. I, I think that's the problem we humans have. We focus too much on the here and the now, and that's understandable. Jesus said, you've got to focus on the forever as well. We live, as James said, it's just a vapor. Boom, we're gone. We're not here very long. But eternity is hard for our finite minds to wrap themselves around, and that is forever, and that is the point that Jesus is getting to. Because I've said a thousand times, when it comes our time, they're going to take us out and throw us in a hole and come back to the church and eat potato salad. That's the end of it. You can't get out of that. You're faced with that. Someday your casket will be right here and mine as well. That is the point. We, we push that out. We don't want that in our minds. We don't want to think about that. But Jesus says you need to. He cared about the poor, and he calls his followers to do the same, Luke 14, 12 through 14. The physical help was given along with spiritual help. He cared more about spiritual healing than he did physical and he says that this lesson is just not for the poor. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus speaks to the man known as a rich young ruler. He had everything that we desire. He was rich. He was young. He was powerful. And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Well, Jesus knew the man's heart. That's the thing about Christ. When he was around people, he'd look right into you. He knew exactly what you were thinking. A guy said, man, Lord... I love my stuff more than I love you. And I think the key to that passage, it said, and he went away sorrowful. He went away lost. You and I have encounters every day with people that go away sorrowful because they are lost. And they don't want to admit it. He knew his heart and he knew he loved his money. It was the same message to the poor man. Going through the healing, going through the money. You need to look beyond that and allow your physical situation to awaken you to the reality that a day of judgment is coming for everyone. We are not going to get out of it. So does Jesus teach we should help the poor and relieve their suffering? Absolutely. We should be generous with what we have, but... As we see in our second example, Jesus challenged both the rich and the poor to not value physical or financial security at the cost of forgetting and having their sins forgiven by Jesus is our greatest need. Is that our greatest need? Is that your greatest need this morning? That Jesus forgive your sins? I think not for many of us. It would be things like, man, God, I, I want more of your blessings. Or perhaps, Lord, Give me more comfort. Take this pain in my back away. Help me not to have any stress. Protect my family and give them health and prosperity. Jesus said humans' greatest need is to have their sins forgiven so their quality of life would increase. Our quality of life will not increase 
if we live in sin. It's not here. It doesn't go together. It doesn't add up. Jesus said our greatest need is to have those sins forgiven and live abundant life on earth and eternal life forever when the old pumper stops. Jesus wants people to live forever in the Father's house. John 5, 14, talking about the lame man. Later, Jesus found him in the temple. Perhaps the man had gone to give thanks to God for his healing. When Jesus found him, he told him, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Does all sin cause suffering? No. But in this case, because Jesus told the blind man that your sin didn't cause this. But he's telling him, this man, is you need to have your sins forgiven or, or you're in trouble. And something worse will happen to you. What he was saying, he would live the rest of his life without any spiritual direction. And then when he died, he'd wake up not in God's house, but in Satan's house. And that's, that's the point he was trying to make to him. Way too many people focus on their physical well-being while completely neglecting the health of their souls. Let's think about us as we think about how much time and effort and money we spend on this old body that's going to rot someday, turn to dust. It's natural. It, it, we're taught that. Hollywood and Madison Avenue, it's a constant flesh. Look good. Be successful. Look prosperous. Blah, 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 blah. And that's where we put our energy instead of taking care of the spiritual person. A lot of times our spiritual person, if you saw a picture, looks like a skinny guy on the beach and the bully's kicking sand in his face. Can you imagine if we could see each other's sin for just five seconds as we look around? It'd be hideous. I don't know if you've seen, watch Seinfeld, which some people think is goofy, but goofy people like Seinfeld. That's why I watched it. <laughs> there was one episode where Kramer just was smoking like a maniac. His skin turned pasty looking, and people, and his teeth, and people would look, and he'd say, Oh, don't look on me. I'm hideous. If we could see each other's sin, that's what we'd look like. I do believe that. We can't see each other's sin. We can just see the person that we put together before we came to church this morning. Jesus sees it. He sees the health of our souls. So I ask you this morning, beloved brothers and sisters, what do you focus most on? We know what Christ focused on. Was he a liberal or conservative? We'll finish this message next week. Perhaps in the course of these 20, 25 minutes or what, whatever it's been, the Holy Spirit of God has gripped your heart. And no one knows that. Only you know it. And as you sit there, you, you, feel him, you feel him squeezing. And you realize that what Jesus was saying, it's become crystal clear to you. That your greatest need this morning is like the lame man's. It's your need to have your sins forgiven. In this life, so... Something worse won't happen to you in the next. That being spending an eternity in a constant torment in hell. If this describes you this morning, friend, you 
are in a place where people love you and want to help you, so you can come down here and we can pray for you. And that's what I always tell you. This is a place where you can find help. You can find help right in your seat. The issue is a lot of times we slough the Holy Spirit off and don't do it. We leave with the same burden, the same sin we came in with. So this morning, just be honest. That's, that's all I'm asking. You, as a human being, is to be honest with the Holy God as he knocks on your heart. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for your love for us and for your grace and your mercy and uh, how you continue to forgive us and try to make us and mold us into the image of your Son. That's the final product. I know sometimes we go along for a ways and we do pretty good and then we kind of fall off the wagon and Holy Spirit, you grip our heart and you convict us and we realize that we need to do something and that something is confess, <laughs> repent of our sins and hopefully we'll, it'll happen less and less in our lives as we get closer to you. So right now, Lord, as we sing this song, just help us to be honest with you, Holy Spirit, as you speak to each heart individually. For we ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.